0: Good morning and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not
1: necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Good sun, sunny, sunny morning, everybody. This is Paul Rudy with Paul Rudy's On the Money. I'm here mm-hmm. with the great one, Doc I shouldn't I forgot sir. I'm here with Dr. Fred Kurtz. Right. I think he's great. I think he's great, and I'm glad you're back. And Ryan Repka, who works with me at Rudy Wealth Management. So thanks for joining us today. You can call in with your questions at 356-9397. Guys, maybe we'll get some calls because it's not like it hasn't been a little bit crazy out there. So, again, you can call at 356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. We also want to welcome those tuning in on Facebook Live. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. We just want to give people the ability to ask their advisors the right questions, not necessarily give you the answers. We'll answer what we can. And uh, just for fun, uh, one of our longtime listeners, Hattie, I know she listens every show. In fact, one of her children told me. That they all know not to call her during the show. So, can, if you guys can believe that, so I have, I have one fan, one fan. <laughs> well, Fred, uh, you have, you weren't here the last show, but uh, well, when I look at the last, oh, say six weeks, it's literally been uh, pretty much one week up six percent for the broad U.S. market. The next week down six percent that's happened about four times uh just in the last few weeks we were up 5 down 5 up 4% then down 4%. I mean it's really kind of of, of been a mess and I don't I don't know if well look it's a, it just becomes in the short run it's driven by emotion and that's pretty clear to me. Um but all of a sudden now we're hearing people it's interesting what uh analysts and pundits will do We've talked about the inverted yield, potential inverted yield curve where short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. We're really not there. The way I, I always look at that uh, is a sign of uh, the market suggesting that the economy is going to weaken and therefore interest rates will be lower. It's not really forecasting it or causing it. It's just actually a reflection of what right. the market participants think. But it was interesting last week, the three-year Treasury's yield was higher than the five-year Treasury, and everybody said, oh, right. we're in for a recession. Right.
0: Well, I, I think a recession is different from uh, long-term growth being a little bit slower than short-term. That's the uh, the yield curve uh, may may suggest that uh, that could happen, but it's not a sure sign of a, a recession.
1: It didn't even to show you where that can go wrong. In, in 1971, in the early 70s, uh, we had a 10-year Treasury in the five to six percent, and it basically was forecasting slow growth, and then for the next i don't know ten years uh people that own ten year treasuries got hammered because nominal GDP went up to about twelve percent a year, inflation was eight or nine percent a year, so just because I guess that's uh, when I look at this it's like, well the bond market isn't it's not the best forecaster on earth, and we really shouldn't use it necessarily to forecast, should we no,
0: but i you have to incorporate that into your decisions, but again uh the inversion, if it actually occurred is not a sure sign. It's a sort of a relative sign about the short-term growth versus long-term. And they both could be relatively strong. You could still have an inversion. So, again, I don't think people should uh, worry about anything more than 50 other
1: things there is to worry about. Right, it's just another thing on the list. But, you know, uh, I've been in this business for 35 years, and I think this might be the toughest year that I've seen from an overall not many places to go to look for a positive return for the year. In fact, just about every major asset class, U.S. stocks may be up just – U.S. large company stocks might be up just a little bit for the year, but about everywhere else you look, bonds, commodities, you know, international stocks are basically in a bear market, Mm -hmm. bear market being a 20% decline or more. So they're essentially there, depending on where you look in the international market. Uh, You know, Europe uh, specifically is down about 15%. The emerging markets down more than 20%. Uh, And it always seems to me that when we get into these corrections and, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, it was my opinion, and I'm still holding to it. And and, and so far, I looked really smart for a while, didn't I? Yeah, Fred? for one, you one sent week. Me an email. A, a, I was gonna. I look great uh, for Get, a get rid of the market timing <laughs> prohibition here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids. I got a lecture after that show. Uh, uh, but corrections always feel like they're the end of the bull market. That's that's the one thing that I've noticed for thir- in 35 years. And we we get a correction probably once to every one and a half years. Uh, a correction is a, a broad U.S. market decline of about ten of ten percent or more. Uh, this one's right at about the ten percent mm-hmm. level, um, and it's really not longer or deeper. That you know, we've had four of them mm-hmm. since the two thousand and nine decline, <clears throat> so they're not unusual. They're like a cross town bus, and uh, and it just seems to me that you know, with the minute you get into correction territory, then you get the recession story right. and you get all these things that really just worry people but this one really hasn't been especially long or deep right the way I about uh, the way I track it but we I think we've also become accustomed to
0: uh, very quick recoveries too yes they don't always bounce back in six weeks or two months from the correction so there's always a chance you might go uh, go down and, and stay down for uh, a longer period of time
1: and I think if people and, and people I think in general investors suddenly are a little, lot more concerned than they were uh, when they were off 5 or 6% off the all-time highs you know you get to you see 10% of your stock market portion of your portfolio or more seemingly disappear uh it's it's fascinates me how investor psychology changes so yeah. quickly it, all of a sudden it's a something that's really quite normal becomes a big concern and I think at least for investors this is a really good gut check that if a ten percent broad u s market decline bothers you, what are you going to do when it's down twenty or thirty percent or forty percent right. and you know, I always counsel that you know it's never a good time after the decline to really mop up your allocation or change your allocation between stocks and bonds, but you know if you simply can't stand it emotionally, it ought to be a permanent adjustment that you reduce your stock market exposure right. if you're simply if you can't if you can't take that kind of heat. That comes along with being yeah. an owner of the great companies of America. Or if
0: you know, if you know, know that you're uh, susceptible to that, maybe you know, just figure out ways to bear, grin and bear it and go on.
1: Yeah, I think you have to at least recognize that uh, you know you're going to get a 10% decline. The truth of the matter is, over the last 50 years or so, the average intra-year decline from peak to where it's the low point of the year is about 14%. So that's right. really the sense of normalcy. Uh, but when it unfolds in real time, what what looks when you look back, that always looks like an opportunity. But you're when you're un, when it's unfolding in real time, it really becomes a little more paralyzing. Yeah. It's just an interesting psychological dynamic.
0: Yeah, it's really strange because up until about two months ago, uh, some people were complaining about the lack of volatility, and there were some traders who try to benefit from volatility sure. nothing was happening and now everything's happening So, right
1: volatility by the way there is an index that measures volatility that's up about 40 percent per year uh, yeah. this year and that's one of the almost volatility. one of the very few asset classes that have a positive yeah. year yeah so when you track all the major asset classes and you look at it on a chart you go look back about 30 or 40 years you say this is really probably the toughest environment uh just really basically nowhere to hide yeah the only good news
0: for me is that After years and years of uh, not doing it right, my 529 contribution may be at the right time. I always put it (laughs) off assuming there's going to be a a downturn. It never happened, so I ended up uh, putting the money in at the end of the year, and this year it's going to probably be timely.
1: I'm guessing it's going to be timely. I just did my filled up most of my 401k bucket in December. So I was kind of excited about that too. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's
0: it's not much to be happy about because the rest of your portfolio is down. Of course,
1: (laughs) of course. But for, at least for the folks that aren't done buying yet, it's a different measure, a different story. When you are done buying all the great companies of America and the world you're going to own, it's a different dynamic. But when you're not done buying yet, you know, these definitely are one of those gifts that -hmm. you get um, I've been in this business since the Dow was at a thousand, and I've seen it rise to twenty six thousand or so. Right now, it's a little bit above twenty four, and uh, you know. So, I always look at uh, the long term is inevitable. Uh, prices are end up going higher, not only than what we thought, higher than we could have imagined, and uh, yet people that even add to their portfolios, Fred and Ryan, will become a little bit paralyzed mm-hmm. and not see this as a gift that it is and uh I and mean, who's to say it, it obviously the paralysis comes in well okay the broad us market's down 10 or 12% but it may go down 20 or 30 so I'll wait yeah. I'll wait I'll wait yeah, exactly. you can probably remember
0: like a 10 point decline or increase in the dow be oh. a big thing <laughs> yeah.
1: you mean 10 actual points yeah, yeah. uh i notice that you know when people want to be uh, the headlines and the and the media wants to kind of create a negative spin and a, and put some fright into investors they still talk about you know, how many points it went yeah. down instead of the percentage. So this is quite a normal uh, correction, in my view. The w- Would you classify, has anything structurally changed from an economic growth standpoint, Fred, uh, from what you see over the next year or two or three? Not a, not a precise, perc- yeah. but is, is something fundamentally changed in the last few weeks? I don't think so. The only uh, thing that's kind of
0: come to the fore is that uh, there's not as much, Confidence, I think, in uh, Europe and uh, some other places. The United States economy is still uh, doing very well. Uh, in fact, this is really a bizarre thing, but uh, Illinois actually has grown pretty strongly the last year or two. Everyone talks about being at the bottom of the pack, which was for a while, but we're uh, for some reason—I think no one knows exactly why—the the state's done pretty well the last. Does that year or mean two. the city of Chicago's done is concentrated? So, because that's much. Even though people think that. Uh, uh, Chicago is a drain on all the rest of the state is actually the the opposite that Chicago creates so much Chicago and the sure. metro area creates so much activity that really has positive, positive spillovers to the state.
1: I was up there not too long ago and I was amazed by all the building that's going on in right. downtown Chicago. Not that, right. that necessarily has anything to do with the show but what it does with you look at the Illinois economy I yeah. think I probably do it too. I'm quick to write off Illinois right. as, as a decaying well, it's hard state, to t- and it really isn't. It's just yeah. it's got some real serious issues to deal with. Yeah, yeah. well, you and I uh,
0: both go to Dallas fairly often. Yes. If you compare it to Dallas, you're, you you always think, well, it's a stagnant uh, place. But. Oh, it,
1: I mean the, the Dallas area, metro area. Uh, you go north. Uh, I'm in Plano. I, I we have our office in Plano, Texas. I mean, there's more cranes per block in one block than probably the state of illinois i'm yeah. exaggerating but it's right. and, and there's been quite a bit of writing even about that that maybe dallas area it's been one of the hottest areas in yep. the country uh there's a lot of concern there too i don't know with whether it's warranted or not yep. but home prices have really escalated right. uh, but overall that's i guess that's my point where i look at this as a correction Uh, when I talk to my clients. Again, we're not prognosticators, so you're know you always quick to to remind people that, Fred. Um, But it doesn't mean I can't use my 35 years and just say, well, we're not gonna do anything regardless of how I feel. But my best guess is this is a correction in in a mid-year election year. Uh, So far, Santa Claus Rally hasn't been more of a mean Santa or a bad Santa. (laughs) Uh, But I think this, I still stick to my belief that next year we'll see all-time highs. And we either will or we won't. Right. Uh, that's not really the nature of investing when you own ownership of the great companies of America and the world. You're doing that for a lifetime, and you're doing that for a lifetime because the returns for bond, to bondholders of those same companies after taxes and inflation, uh, the re- rewards are pretty meager right. uh, for most of the time, most of history. <clears throat> and that's why we invest part of our portfolio in the great companies, because the returns after taxes and inflation, historically speaking, have been, you know, five or six times higher than the, or than the return after taxes and inflation right. to the bondholder. So this is, uh, for all the listeners out there who probably are looking at their statements and uh, not liking what they see, it's, it's again, that's, it, you should be about as surprised as that when you walk outside today that it's in the 30s right. in Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> it's just part of the deal. And what I try to counsel, you know, the guys that work with me, the younger guys they don't have the experience that fred you have in this and that i have is you really need to understand this is a very powerful emotional dynamic um, when a client calls concerned and unfortunately and we get very little of that but uh you know you know it's it's different when a client sees seemingly disappear what used to take them a year was of work right. a year of work seemingly disappear and it's really important as investors out there that are listening uh, to their advisors, advisors are really quick, I've noticed, to discount people's emotions. You know, we, we know that emotion, the emotional side of our brain, is really the main undoer of a great plan. But it's really important for investors to not discount those feelings. Those feelings are real. Uh, it's okay to feel that way. It's just not okay to do anything uh, about those emotions that's the difference you know i'm not going to tell people they're irrational for feeling that way i'm saying say, no that's perfectly normal welcome to the human race that you when 10 percent of your money seemingly disappears you're going to feel the pain of that the thing to do is to not react and that turns out to be the toughest thing for investors right. it's also um
0: <clears throat> people probably don't realize it it's much easier to invest now than it used to be I, I've, I've been reading a Biography of John Quincy Adams back in the early part of the 1800s, and he ended up. His father, John Adams, the president, uh, lost all his money that was in a bank in England, and then John Quincy Adams tried to invest locally, and in the places that went bankrupt, and so on down the line. Uh, now we have much more, uh, not not safe in a sense of not being volatile, but much safer in terms of the underlying kind of foundation that we. Ever had in the past? Isn't he,
1: in, in, would you say that's true on a glo- for the most part globally too? Because I remember when I first got into this business thirty five years ago. You know, when you talked about international risk, yeah. it was kind of <laughs> yeah. most of it was undeveloped. Yeah. <clears throat> so well, there seem to be some risk. Yeah, there is always a that. frontier.
0: I think the frontier has moved out, and some of the <clears throat> places in the uh, developing uh, areas probably are still pretty, uh, pretty uh, iffy. But the, the kind of standard uh, international is much more uh, sound, I think. Did you have something you
2: wanted to say, Ryan? Or? I was going to say one of the, I think, greatest things that you've done on this show is just give people the information that they're armed with and in any given year there is going to be, on average, an intra-year 14% decline. So when we see something like a 5 or 10% decline, hopefully people now know, oh, that's normal. I shouldn't be shocked by it, and I shouldn't panic. and And simply being armed with that information helps you mentally cope with these declines when they do show up.
1: Yeah, it's just – just admitting and acknowledging ahead of time. If we want the premium returns that have uh, have come to investors, been provided to investors from ownership of the great companies of America and the world, and they have truly been premium returns, and there can be no assurance that that's what the future is going to look like, but it's the best guide we have, those premium returns are a result of premium fluctuation. And that fluctuation is really just surrounds, one word, unpredictable. So the returns... From the great companies of America and the world, over the near term, are just wildly unpredictable. Unpredictable, people don't like the predictability. But I, I always have looked at it, guys. Is that predict that unpredictability? That's why the premiums there. Right. You don't want to wish uh, that that unpredictability to go away. In other words, if you some people call that unpredictability, by the way, the word risk. I try yeah. not to use <laughs> that word because it means so so much. Different, so many different things to different people that unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, I think anybody, I think yeah. most people that have, that have any experience at all can tell the difference between stocks and bonds is the stock returns are much yeah. more. So I, I don't know whether, uh, I think Ryan may have mentioned it a couple weeks ago <clears throat> that uh, it's hard though when
0: you, you look at uh, two weeks and you've lost half a year's salary or something. Sure. That, so it, you have people have to steal themselves for that kind of uh, situation.
1: I, and I've been lately, I tell people, look, I, if you're concerned, write it down because. Two years yeah. from now, when the Dow or whenever it is, I, so I, I just use this. I'm not really trying to make a specific point because when the Dow's at thirty thousand, you won't remember what you were worried about right. today, and that kind of almost sounds corny, uh, but it's the best I have. Mm-hmm. It's the best I have to tell people, look, you're, you, this is this is what it's all about. Embrace it, uh, you know. Celebrate it, uh, which is weird, uh, yeah. you know. Well, why celebrate that my portfolio is down <laughs> five or ten or fifteen or twenty percent? Because without that unpredictability, without that pain, I don't believe you're going to get the, the premium returns. It wouldn't make any theoretical sense that if there isn't that, right. if there isn't that unpredictability of return, right. there would be no. I can't think of an economic theory that would say, well, gosh, if it's completely unpredictable like a CD, you're not going to earn mm-hmm. the 10% compounded historical rate dividends reinvested of the large U.S. companies. So that's just uh, again, I'm trying to be. Uh, sensitive uh, I know people just because of the last six weeks the way they've been has really been one of the messiest six weeks probably mm-hmm. that you know, we've lived through worse times yeah. uh, when uh, the broad US market fell 57% in 2008 <clears throat> 2009 and, and I think we almost had to hit a reset <laughs> button that was more p- painful clearly but yeah. it's 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 amazing to watch people and listen to people, whether you're watching TV and you're listening to the pundits or reading what the pundits are writing. This 6 weeks week's been a little bit unusual right. uh, volatility. After a year last year, that was one of the lowest volatility years yeah. that we've experienced in yeah. a long, long time. Now maybe you
0: need to tell your customers on the upside, don't assume that in the good times when right. it goes up 15% uh,
1: uh, or 20% a year, don't assume that's a ratchet they will never i I agree fred (laughs) and you can tell them that till the cows come home (laughs) uh uh, you know they they love their allocation they always assume that whatever they
0: have is the new the new standard yeah it's
1: anchoring you know they kind of get anchored you know for a lot of people it's for a lot of people that come to us uh you know maybe they have a half a million dollars or three quarters you know the goal seems to be there seems to be these psychological anchors well I want to get to a million. No. Then they get to a million. They never want to go below a million. And, and whatever the number is, whatever that number is, everybody's got their own number. But this anchoring is very powerful, right?
2: And I think anytime we hit a new, time, a new all-time high, so many people look at that and say, well, that's the new floor of my account. No. I, I can't possibly I so. see it go below that because that's <laughs> money I've lost once the market does move inevitably. And it's hard for people to accept that because you think, well, that's my money now. And maybe you start mentally attaching strings to that money. Like some of our clients say, well, there uh, goes my bathroom remodel <laughs> Exactly. In, in one day. And, exactly. And, and that's what is so hard, I think, for so many people is you start earmarking the money as things that, oh, look at this, this bonus money that the market's made I me. Mean, now I'm going to spend it on something I've wanted and then seemingly, again, seemingly disappears. Right.
1: That. All, this all circles back, guys, too. This is the reason that if you don't have a plan to begin with, and planning is not an event. Planning is a process. The only way you can relate and be rational and and, and deal with uh, the ups and downs and the unpredictability is if you have a plan that then dictates the portfolio allocation between stocks and bonds, and you understand that the good and the bad and the ugly about that, then the slave, as I've said, is a servant, The portfolio is a slave to the plan, or a servant to the plan. At that point, when when a client will say something like that, "Wow, you know my account's down ten thousand. I was just getting ready to remodel a bathroom," you can quickly remind them, "Look, look, your plan hasn't changed a bit. Your plan is still everything. It's not at risk. We wouldn't put we wouldn't put you in a plan that a ten thousand dollar move causes any pain. Uh, That's just that's that's almost just." quiet noise around it. And this is why it's planning becomes the essential ingredient to a successful lifetime investment outcome.
0: Yeah, this all also opens the door to uh, sales pitches like indexed annuities. We of can, course. We can protect your gains and guarantee they won't go down, but... You
1: know, yeah, my, my wife doesn't like it when I watch TV because, you know, I, I'll hear these people... Uh, basically it's pandering to people's emotions. Look, um, I could probably be a number one scoundrel after 35 years of watching how people behave and what I'd like to believe doing it honestly and putting people's best interest uh, in front of mine and my firms. Um, But I could certainly, um, after watching it, become a real scoundrel and really pander to people. And unfortunately, there's a chunk of Wall Street that is happy to do so. Some of it, I, I don't believe these people are evil. I think they honestly believe uh, that their solution uh, is viable and reasonable, but that's because they never bother to really think it through all the way and do the math, and right. if they would do that, you know, they would just stop doing that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm known to yell at the TV and yell at the mm-hmm. radio when I hear people uh, coming up with their alternatives uh, to uh, – and I think about what they're coming up with an alternative to. Mm-hmm. If you own, historically speaking, if you've owned the largest and the smallest company – your money's compound in a, in a blend of those two things. Historically, the last hundred years or so, you've compounded your money somewhere around eleven percent compounded annual growth rate, dividends included. That's very important. Dividends reinvested at eleven percent. I, I always ask myself, well, who wants an alternative to that? Who's yeah. looking for an alternative to that? And I've seen Fred; a lot of major pension funds now are as much as half of their portfolio now are in alternative investments. Right, and to me that's scary. Well, I think I think that has yeah. to end badly.
0: Well, I think it's a, a, a same kind of thing. It's uh, a sense looking for a free lunch. How can I get? Uh, how can I get uh, equity returns with uh, much less risk? And these, it's basically a kind of insurance, and insurance always comes with a cost, and uh, the cost may be uh, substantially lower returns in the future.
1: Yeah. And David, my son David mentioned this. I think Ryan you were there. He said, "Well, all I remember is when the Dow got to 24,000 everybody was thrilled. Uh, it's still just above 24,000. Yeah. Why isn't why doesn't everybody why don't doesn't everybody feel the same way? In other words, a year or two ago when for the first time we hit 24,000, people were ecstatic. Mm-hmm. They were thrilled. We're still there and now they're concerned. Same number, same right. area so I think this highlights the dynamic Um, we have a text from Adam I think I know what Adam this is do you consider the riverboat casino a source of unpredictability of return you know that's an interesting question and and why he might be half kidding about that and follow up on that do you like uh, do you like the casino can you compare the boat the stock market Uh, both are a gamble uh, oh, that's Mike actually, not from Adam, that's from Mike. Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't look far enough, Adam, sorry about that. Uh, both are a gamble. Well, that's interesting because I've always had this theory, Fred, my dad was born in 1916. He's obviously not around any longer, but he could never understand how I could invest retirees money. Mm-hmm. When I, if you would, Back then you'd say, in the stock market. Because to my dad, you could have just said the same thing as that to him meant in the casino. Mm-hmm. A lot of people liken liking investing in the unpredictability of investing to the casino. This is really the opposite to me is where casino, the house has the edge. Yeah. Uh, if you play that game long enough, consistently enough, they're going to drag out five to ten cents of every dollar that yeah. you play. So you kind of just lose it slowly and predictably. Yes. And a lottery. You can There's lose a it. lottery. Faster. <laughs> there's that. Of course there's that chance you could always strike it right. big. I'm talking about playing the game over your lifetime, you're going to end up destitute. Yeah, economists have a
0: a term for this. There are negative sum games and positive sum games. The negative sum game is where the sum of all the winnings are less than you put in and and a, a casino or the lottery is a guaranteed negative sum game. You may have individual winners and uh, and most losers, but on average it's going to you, you get back less than you put in. And, and it has, oh. It's
1: designed to be that way.
0: And historically at least the uh, uh, market has been a positive sum game. I right. mean, you always say you can't guarantee it, but going right. back you know, decades and I mean, decades. There's always
1: been a cost yeah. of capital. There's always been a return of capital. Of course, there's been disasters and countries have gone away and people right. have lost all their money. But I think, uh, suffice it to say, I think if you think about the United States broad stock market, you can kind of, you can look at historical returns and see that the largest companies have compounded annual growth rate of about 10% a year and the smallest companies at 12. And, of course, your return is going to be anything but that, but there tends to be this positive nature to return given enough time. If you play the game long enough and if you're patient and if you don't set yourself up for failure, that is you don't tinker with it any more than you would plant a tree and go dig it up every seven days to see how the roots are doing. It's probably not going to turn out well. If there could be a law that just said investors can only open up their statements every Mm -hmm. five years, much of the, there couldn't be a CNBC uh, TV show if that was the case. I I don't know. Yeah, Ryan.
2: And uh, Paul Rudy Jr. chimed in and said um, the stock market, you know, you are like the casino if you invest in the stock market over the long term, because over the long term, the expected return is positive. We can't say if it will be in the future, but based on historical uh, information and what we see now, it's likely to be positive in the future. So if you play long enough, and like you said, Paul, don't don't get emotional, don't sell, don't pull up the roots every seven days to check and make sure that they're still there. If you play it long enough, you are expected to come out on top, which is the inverse.
1: Fred, isn't it, in the, in the end of the day, doesn't basically the economy drive everything? I mean, as far as the economy is a reflection of how corporate America's doing and how the country's doing, if corporate America is doing well, they're gonna sell more stuff, make more money, have more earnings, not every day, not every month, yeah but over one's lifetime. And isn't yeah. the stock market just a result, the return's a result of economic progress? Right, or I,
0: <clears throat> more uh, uh, microscopically, presumably er- everyone talks about the value of stock being the discounted present value of the future earnings, and right. to the extent that the economy's growing, uh, earnings are going to uh, be higher in the future. But again, that doesn't apply to, you know, some some companies will, well others poorly but if sure. you go the indexing route you don't have to worry about about that part but you if know.
1: you put all the great companies of America right. and the world in a basket they're all they're, not all of them are gonna go bankrupt yeah. uh, over time it would be a reasonable expectation yeah, that, would that economic growth. earnings five years 10 20 50, 100 years from now assuming a country survives uh, I think we've developed long enough to, yeah. to have that's pretty good guess anyway that earnings in the future are likely to be higher than they are today. I mean, it's it's, it's a story of innovation. I mean, think of the iPhone comes out. First they come out with the iPod, right? That was the music one. Uh, Never been developed before. And then it goes into the iPhone one, and now we're at iPhone 10 if they've done it in order. And to me, that is the nature of what the great companies of America and the world do is they innovate. Some of them go away because they Mm -hmm. don't innovate enough or well enough to compete. But in the aggregate, they seem to get better and better and better over time, and therefore earnings, at least historically speaking, given enough time, have always gone up at a pretty substantial rate, enough to where the compounded annual growth growth rate, hmm. uh, as an owner of those great companies of America and the world, it's been somewhere around ten to twelve percent compounded. Right. So I think the next thing I want to move about. Uh, I, of course, I, I read Paul's my, Paul Junior's uh, blog list, and by the way, he on CNBC he was featured. I think it was yesterday. Uh, he wrote an article that uh, for CNBC that they picked up and ran, um, and I think the title of the article was "This 29-year-old puts his money where his mouth is." Uh, i didn't even know he published it but uh his writing's gotten quite good ryan he's of course that's what he likes to do he likes to write but uh, i think they were amazed to hear from a 29 year old advisor that actually applies all the same all the things he's preaching to and, what
2: he does in detail i kind of glanced through the article i didn't read every line of it <laughs> well you're you're a proud dad then right? well, you know, you'll be obviously. more proud when you read the rest of it but um it was really good i, I think it's impressive just as a telltale that CNBC, a very reputable source, picks up a twenty-nine-year-old's article, start to finish. They didn't paraphrase it; right. they took it, top line to bottom line, right. and ran it as a full article. And I thought it was good. It it gives good perspective on as a young a young investor, someone who's starting out in their investing career that uh, the good advice is to stay invested over the long term and own as much equities as you can and when there's a sale like there is now and the market goes down take that as an opportunity to buy more equities more stocks because you have a 30 40 plus year investment time horizon to acquire stocks that will grow the most at a higher rate of return
1: anyway you could probably get that on our website at rudywealth.com but uh he did write a a a blog and We're not going to go through all of them, guys, because it's 36 things to think about at the end of the year. Uh, Personal finance tips. uh, But six categories. We're going to start the first one's investment. So I'm going to jump to that one. And, Fred, feel free to. The one thing to do this time of year is review your asset allocation. And that makes sense. We talk about that a lot. Uh, For the last couple of years, I've been suggesting to people make sure that your allocation, you understand it, that it's appropriate for you, that you don't get surprised. And hopefully people have done that um, but it's real easy for those allocations over the last particularly nine or ten years to really drift you started out at 50% in the stock market and if you left it alone today you might be at 80% and that's probably not appropriate for you unless something has changed so that's one of them uh, so review that asset allocation rebalancing that's kind of a, goes hand in hand with that we're not chronic rebalancers. Uh, we don't rebalance necessarily every quarter. We do have algorithm-driven you know, tools that alert us at any given moment where we are. But for investors out there that are doing it for themselves, I, I always felt, Fred, that once a year is probably adequate. Right. It, it may be more than adequate, but mm-hmm. certainly adequate. I don't think it has to be more Unless it's really been an unusual year right. and the stock market's up 50%. And, and you're, and really you're rebalancing
0: to uh, provide more stability, not necessarily higher returns. For example, you talked about the 24000 level. I, I did a substantial rebalancing then, so I'm actually worse off now for having rebalanced, but I have this down downside protection that uh we well,
1: Fred, we're doing the same thing. When we're rebalancing the last few years, uh, one of the components are, and Ryan, you can add to this, but one of the things we've been doing is counter to what our clients want us to do. Yeah. With the international markets underperforming the U.S. market for almost eight years now, when we rebalance, that's one of the things that have gotten out of whack, and what yeah. are we doing? We're selling U.S. stocks at that point and right. buying more international to shore it up which is the opposite of what the client's brain wants them to do, the emotional side. I have to look over the next two to three decades of their life to to think about what's appropriate, not over the next two to three months.
0: Well, it's kind of a strange thing because I actually uh, hope I'm wrong when I rebalance. (laughs) If I I rebalance away from equities, I hope that uh, equities continue to go up and make it look bad because, rebalancing is a
1: small part of the whole the whole portfolio it's part of the psychological game right yeah. it's a win-win well if i rebalance and i and i pair my stock holdings down compared to bond holdings a couple of things can happen i guess it can do nothing for a while yeah. but in any material way it's either going to go up or it's going to go down the stock market that is if it goes down you go well i'm glad i cut i'm glad i rebalanced and if it goes up you say well i'm still glad i rebalanced because now my stocks have appreciated it's positive number It's very important to set up these win-win situations.
2: And the important point about rebalancing is you're not chasing returns or chasing what's going on in the market at that given time. And I think some people probably do that. It seems like, like you're saying, as the U.S. stocks are going up, it, it seems natural to load up on the U.S. stocks because they're doing well. The purpose is really the opposite of that, is to make sure you don't find yourself overloaded in a group and to then get yourself back to the level that you should be at, regardless of what the market's doing, up or down. Um, And for us as a firm, I know this is not something, like you said, you do every seven days, you pull up the roots and you look and see if the roots are still there. Uh, You do it maybe once a year. And I know a prominent advisor who says that not only do they only do it once a year, they do it on an exact date every year so that it is independent of whatever market conditions there are so that there is no bias to try to game the market or or game the the winnings or low point of the market.
1: I agree. So I'm going to hit some of these other highlights because I think this is an important one. Uh, people may have purchased additional securities this year—stock, stocks, or uh, stock market mutual funds—and they may have some losses. And you can sell those losses to offset any gains that you might get out of your long-time held mutual funds and actively managed funds. Year uh, this year, I, from what I'm reading, uh, professionally managed mutual funds are kicking out some pretty heavy capital gains distributions even though they may be showing a loss for the year. So that's one of those tax risks that you yeah, have. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I learned something from
0: the Wall Street Journal a, a week ago or so that even passive uh, funds are, are sometimes distributing uh, gains because they sure. some of them had to sell uh, part of their portfolio even though uh, – most people didn 't uh, buy or sell
1: right, so that even, even even the most passive stock mutual fund can have some level of especially of, if, of if, gains. If, if
0: their assets are declining, of um,
1: course, uh, and then watch out for capital gains distribution, so this is the time of year, particularly where mutual funds are mandated once a year to, you know by a certain point, you have to have paid out all your dividends and capital gains, and lots so a lot of the heavy ones are in in December period I'll just use the month of December so if you're investing in new mutual funds you want to make sure that they're not going to be distributing a large taxable dividend if it's in a non-tax privileged account it's just something to watch out for uh, again this is a year where you might also and I he's probably got that's in the tax section we'll get to it but when you want to think about tax maneuvers like uh, if you're gonna have a particularly low income year and you have capital gains um, you might harvest those gains at no tax rate. You can have quite a bit of income and still have a 0% uh, long-term capital gains tax rate. When it comes to retirement accounts, uh, he has contribute to a traditional IRA. Uh, if you don't have a 401k plan at work, you can always look at your uh, IRA account. You can put in a maximum of $5,500 per year. If you're 50 or older, you can contribute an additional catch-up provision. Uh, you can also think about contributing to a Roth IRA. Uh, So it won't lower your tax bill, but it'll allow your funds to, from that point, as long as you follow the rules, to compound tax free. Uh, Contribute to a SEP IRA if you're self-employed. You can put in the lesser of 25% of your eligible income or $55,000 to a SEP IRA in 2017. Review savings rate in your retirement account. So this is a time when you want to think about going into next year if you're in a 403b, 401k, 457 plan. Can I add an extra one percent per year uh, into my plan next year compared to what I'm doing this year, Ryan?
2: And that's the point I was going to make too. Is uh, if you do get a, a raise going into the new year, it's a really good time to take a little bit of that raise and put it into your retirement because chances are you're not going to miss maybe one percent of that raise, uh, but it's going to add up to a lot in the long run. And also, too, those are going to be pre-tax dollars, so you know, a dollar saved on the front end is, is more than money that would funnel through to your checking account had it not been put into uh, that 401k. So again, it, it's another way to not see extra money coming in that automatically ratchets up your spending. It kind of keeps you in check by yeah. also putting that in.
1: It's a, it's a great point and what uh, people really ought to think of. These young guys, Fred they're yeah. a pretty conservative group aren't they <laughs> right <laughs> you know, if I yeah. frankly when I was their age i'm not sure that i yeah. i i that I even felt that way or, yeah. or I certainly didn't practice my. we didn't own. have as many choices. didn't, we didn't have as
0: many choices in those days either you're like, probably right uh, nowadays uh, again uh not only contributing but uh, uh moving assets from a uh, uh, traditional to a Roth, if you have a low income year uh, it's not a bad idea, but again, everyone has to check with their own.
1: Right. You want to talk to your CPA or your advisor and or your advisor, and uh, again, if you found that for some reason you've ha- you're going to have extraordinarily or, or lower uh, than typical average year of income, maybe there, there can quite often, there's uh, can make a lot of sense to convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth or at least part of your money. So it's something to think about. One of the things that, if you're thinking about retiring before fifty-nine and a half, and you know maybe around the, your mid-fifties, it's always a good idea to have to be building a taxable, a non-tax privileged account. In my opinion, uh, you know, to get you through maybe the three or four years, so that you don't have to take a penalty. Now, if you're in a four hundred one k plan and you're fifty-five, at least the year that you depart, and you're fully retired, then you there's the golden fifty-five rule, and you can avoid that. Uh, penalty uh, so you can get to your money early, but outside of that, if you don't have that ability, or if you're thinking about even retiring pre 55, then you don't have that golden 55 rule, then you wanna make sure you're building this non-tax privilege or a taxable brokerage account. Uh, And you can invest that quite tax efficiently. You wanna make sure that you've taken out your required minimum distribution for the year. The penalties are heavy, I think 50% of the amount you were supposed to take that you didn't take. So that kind of covers the retirement accounts. And I'm missing anything, guys, that you might want to think oh, of? Last up.
0: week you talked about making contributions from <clears throat> from your retirement accounts, too, if you're 70 and a half. But yeah, yeah so, we, so
1: we talked about that. What you're saying is if you're 70 and a half and you're still working and you don't own more than 5%, is that the provision you're talking about that you can still make well, You can still make contributions, no, but I'm you also about don't about, have to no, have r <clears throat> <throat> No, I'm talking about
0: charitable contributions. Oh, uh, Charitable contributions? Uh, from, from, uh,
1: Correct uh, the the IRA. IRA. Yep. So you remember you could use the qualified charitable distribution out of your IRAs up to one hundred thousand dollars if you are seventy and a half, as Fred said. Uh, so that's another thing to talk with your your CPA or your advisor about. It's a terrific way to gift money uh, from a tax. Gather all your tax related documents. Uh, you want to, you know, if if you have, let's see, I just want to see what he's writing here. If you are temporarily low tax bracket eligible for zero percent uh, or a five percent tax rate on capital gains you may want to sell this is what Paul was writing so we talked a little bit about that so you want to harvest any capital gains rate make sure that you don't let a zero percent tax bracket go to waste if and one of the things people are surprised about Fred at least in Illinois we always I always think of Illinois as not necessarily a tax friendly state right for the worker but for the retiree it's it's fairly favorable isn't it
0: uh, for, for the retiree from a qualified plan. Yes. Uh, from capital gain standpoint, it's not. because Well, capital I, gain's not, but yeah, I'm thinking but, but of people about, that are retired yeah, that are Social Security,
1: a pension, taking money out of their IRAs or 401ks. Yeah, it's
0: unlike any other place or few other places in the country in terms of not taxing retirement income.
1: And you can, and just look in this in, look, in corporate, I mean, in America, uh, a, a married couple can have a little over $100,000 of income and still stay you know, in the 12% tax bracket, pay very little taxes. Uh, Social Security, if that's part of it, uh, you know, you may have a overall effective rate of somewhere around 7 8% right. of, of your total taxes. So even from a, a, a national federal income tax rate. So you want to think about gifting appreciated assets uh, to those in lower tax brackets. You might uh, gift, you can make gifts up to $14,000 to take advantage of your early exemption. These days and age, the early exemption's not such a big deal since... Uh, A married couple can have, you know, $11 plus of an estate before there's any real tax considerations. But still, you can walk up and down the street and hand $14,000 out with no reporting whatsoever. Couples can double that amount to $28,000. And again, the the whole point is uh, at that amount or below, you don't have to file anything or there's there's really no notation about it. Think about making your charitable donations, uh, particularly if it's deductible. You may want to think about lumping them if you have the next Three, four, five years. You might do them all in one year to take advantage of itemized deductions. If you're not going to be itemizing, that's where this qualified charitable deduction through your uh, well uh, distribution your through your IRA really makes sense for those that are in that position at seventy and a half.
0: Yeah, you get the best of both worlds because you get the uh, twenty-four thousand or twenty-six thousand.
1: Yeah. um you, uh, of course you can still me. think about prepaying two thousand nineteen expenses. So talk about your C, to your CPA about that. You want to review your insurance policy so I'm just gonna kinda click through these guys and if you have comments you can make them so uh, it's you know you just wanna make sure that all your coverage is still adequate I think that's really important so assess your needs and your coverage needs make sure that you have those review your beneficiaries this is a big one Uh, Ryan uh, it's not unusual to find out that people they have somebody else than who they really have uh, named as a beneficiary on an IRA or a 401k plan. Isn't that true?
2: Yeah, and this is one of the big areas where people can really get in trouble, um, especially if you set up maybe a, a 401k or even an IRA. Um, you have a beneficiary on that. When you're young and then your life goes on, maybe you marry, <laughs> maybe someone passes away. or uh, This is a, a big problem really in, in divorced families where maybe you have a spouse. This is the primary beneficiary. And then the divorce happens, you completely forget that the beneficiary is your now ex-spouse. And then if something happens to you and you have children, the money by law is required to go to the ex-spouse because that beneficiary has not been changed. So it's a, an important time of year to just look at uh, those destinations, see if, in fact, the money that you have goes to the right people. Uh, if you have children, that it may be are contingent beneficiaries on your accounts um and make the change if if maybe you have had a divorce so that the money goes where you want it to
1: okay i'm going to click through a few more contribute to your health savings account if you have that available to you make sure you look at it make sure you put everything in there that you can if you have the ability to do that and of course you want to use up your flexible spending account balance uh again uh, flexible spending accounts again contribute pre-tax dollars uh, used for health care expenses So you want to make sure that you're doing everything there and following all the rules from an estate planning. You want to review your will. Uh, If you haven't done that, this is a reminder to review your will, make sure it gets updated if it needs some changes. Uh, There's subtle language differences in today's law that I've noticed some attorneys are just cleaning up uh, some older wills. Consider establishing a trust. Uh, Again, a lot of times this isn't for tax reasons. It's more for, uh, efficiency reasons. Uh, if it's a living trust, uh, it's made non-public. So just just talk to that. Talk to your attorney about that or your advisor. Uh, let's Paul, see. Yes, I, I
2: think it's probably worth adding that m- many people probably don't be. have a need for a trust. Uh, if this day and it's age. not everybody that needs a trust.
1: Correct. Uh, you know, we still look for that opportunity for people that have a will and they have substantial assets that aren't in requir- retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. Again, we want to avoid at least let them know that they can avoid probate potentially by using living trust so but it's it's fewer all the time as far as when people think about traditional trust for tax purposes and those types of things that's that's for sure uh you want to review or establish your health care directive so that's your uh, your health care power of attorney you want to make sure those are up to date and reflect your wishes you know sometimes people's attitudes change about things it's easy to let those things slip by if you have life insurance you want to uh, Review that life insurance cover coverage, and if you have business continuity agreements, ah, uh, that one's boring. I think I'll just pass that one. But if you have a buy sell agreement, make sure that's up to date and it's properly funded, and nothing has slipped past. You don't want to find out a death of a spouse and the insurance company and the insurance policy laps, and there's nothing to do. That I've seen that happen uh, from a financial planning. Uh, hey, if you don't have one, establish one this year. Uh, if not by the end of the year, at the beginning of next year. Um, you'll be happier you'll be a happier person you will go to work a lot easier if you have a financial plan I promise you evaluate progress towards your financial goals again the question is am I okay that's really what clients wanna know am I okay how's next year look this is what we're doing this time of year and early in the year we kinda reset the plan and say okay here's what 2019 is going to look look like for you if you're eligible and you want to contribute to a 529 plan it's a good time to do it it's not necessarily any but you know, any different this time of year? Than well, you get time. the five percent from uh, well, that's the state true of uh, from a tax uh, from a tax. P- explain that, Fred. Well,
0: the, the first ten thousand uh, dollars put into a five twenty nine plan in the state of Illinois, you get a, a basically five uh, percent, almost five percent. Right. Uh, so, it's the, the state so it saves base, you five hundred dollars. So you packs, pay ten thousand dollars. State pays five hundred dollars of that, which is not a bad deal.
1: And a married couple can do the twenty. Then right. so that's you know so you put in twenty thousand. You can't you essentially at approximately. If you wait for
0: next year, you can't Correct. Uh, double it.
1: So that so my son's smarter than I thought he was. That is, that is appropriate yeah. to make sure that if you're going to do that this year, you want to do that before the end of the year. Establish or update your budget. That's a good practical one. We have a few minutes here, guys. Uh, hire a financial advisor. Imagine us saying <laughs> that again. It's like a barber telling you you need a haircut. But I think most people, um, it doesn't have to be us. So I'm not. This is not a commercial for us. But I would. My recommendation, recommendation, if I was retired, didn't have any axe to grind. The first thing I would say to any investor is, go hire a financial advisor, or a financial planner. More importantly. Uh, I'm not sure that I would seek one out that's a registered representative. It doesn't mean anything bad about them. I'd probably choose a registered investment advisor. Again, I'm biased. I'm a registered investment advisor. I admit it. But it's just, why not eliminate any conflicts of interest you can? So hire a financial advisor. It's a really good one. Uh, that's about it, guys. Fred, we got about another minute and a half, right. Fred. Uh, well, we,
0: we talked about this in the past. Go ahead. It,
1: hire just one financial
0: advisor, not several. For example, I, I have... Uh, uh, funds both in TIAA, CREF, and Fidelity, they both assert that they're giving me advice, but they're sure. only giving me advice within that one portfolio so that <laughs> I have a, a full view of my overall uh,
1: situation. I think that is that part B of that advice. If you're going to hire a financial advisor, pick a good one and hire one. Uh, if When you hire, I, I just never see it work when people have two or three advisors. You're, if you have two or three advisors, it's like a team that has two quarterbacks. You really don't have one uh or as i there's an old saying person that chases two rabbits won't catch one uh i think that's a really good point but you know the key is hire a financial planner get some financial planning going it doesn't have to be overly comprehensive at first just start addressing it prioritize you'll just walk around as a happier person i firmly believe that well we're almost done here. Uh, our next show would be scheduled to be on Christmas Day. We're obviously not going to do that, so WDWS would like us to change to next Tuesday, so we'll be back in a couple weeks uh, to do our last uh, show of the year. Ryan, you got oop, 10 oop. seconds. We'll be back in one week, not a couple yeah. weeks. What did I say, two weeks? You said a couple well, weeks. We'll be back okay. in one week. We'll be back in one week, right. so that's next okay. Tuesday. And uh, glad to hope, want everybody to tune in. We'll try to do some more end-of-the-year tips. Great. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Ryan.
0: Thanks. Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.